Welcome to Two Button Crew. This is a very special episode. I'll introduce the crew first. I'm Scott, and I have Simeon. Hello. And we've got Glenn as well. How's it going, Glenn? It's going well. How are you? Doing great. Okay, I'll introduce our special guests. We have the brothers Michael and Matthew Toronto. How are you guys? Hey, everyone. We're doing well. Doing good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a real honor to meet you and get a chance to ask you about uh, the comics that you've made, the video games that you've made, and now you're getting into books. So we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Sure. So um, I don't know when you guys started reading uh, Brawl in the Family. Um, I actually started maybe a couple weeks after it started and... I was always excited to log on. I think I found out through like game FAQs or something like that. And it's, it's, I'm super excited to talk to you guys. Um, and, um, the, it was, it picked up steam quite a bit mm-hmm. and you guys became relatively popular. Um, what factors do you attribute the comic success to? <laughs> That's pretty cool that you, that you, learned about it like that early because yeah on game faqs that was uh i think the second message board i posted it on it was right after the ign boards and that was uh yeah that was like in april 2008 i believe and it was like kind of one after the other you know I'd, i posted on one message board and then people liked it so i like an hour later i posted on game faqs but uh i guess the the comic success i think if you kind of follow the trajectory of web comics like when it was a new thing, it was it was really cool because people were like, I could just put up whatever comic I want on the internet and, and you know, and, and say say what I want, say whatever things I need. And for a while, that, that level of freedom was, was, was the appeal. You know, you could have these very uncensored comics compared to what you'd normally find in the funnies. Um, but I think with Brawl and the Family, I, uh, it, it, it started with these doodles that I just kind of made in class that I thought were kind of funny. And it kind of had the opposite thing. It was, it was less about seeing how far you could push it and more about what would be kind of like Hmm. funny for this character or like an in-character thing for uh and for this comic idea or whatever so that you could still see the characters kind of doing this kind of thing you know on their off time and i think that kind of helped uh helped it 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 reach a wider audience and i've had a lot of people over the years also tell me they're they're glad to be able to have comics or web comics that they can share with their kids or their younger siblings or, mm-hmm. or what have you as well. So I think that was a big part of it. And also I, I think I, I had just reached a certain audience of Nintendo fans that wanted to see, uh, you know, more Nintendo based stuff. Cause you know, that's kind of its own little thing too. It's own little corner of, of gaming that I've always been a part of as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that your web comics look a little bit different than other web comics as far as, <laughs> just art style and i'm wondering how much of that is art style how much of that is the program that you use i don't know anything about art or drawing comics what's your process for drawing a comic uh initially it was just kind of anything goes with the uh i had this this little tablet where you know you you draw on it and then it appears on on the the computer screen so you're kind of looking up the whole time and that kind of combined with the very uh, I guess droll sense of humor of the, especially the early comics. It kind of led to this really kind of wiggly looking blue outline that I I sort of liked, you know, because it was very easy to hammer out a few comics. 
Um, my actual drawing skills, I think, were kind of better than the comic would have you believe, <laughs> at least at first. So uh, for a while, I mean, after a while, I started to try to, you know, try a little harder with the art and, uh, you know, not have it lose its kind of simple edge, but at least kind of grow a little bit bigger into something slightly more pleasant to look at. Um, but it wasn't really like a conscious effort on my part for the most part. I think I early on, I decided I liked the blue monochrome kind of look and mostly stuck with that. But otherwise, um, it, it's pretty much just kind of always been my, my, my own personal, you know, doodling style throughout, uh, you know, throughout my life. Is there a, a specific formula that you typically follow for your comics? Yeah. I'm wondering about like story progression. Because it, it seems like you're really good at a three-panel setup with the payoff at the end. Do you have that kind of uh, formula in mind, or is it just coming naturally? I I think it's a little tricky to kind of pinpoint where the ideas come from. It usually starts, or at least back when I was doing Brawl in the Family, it started when I would I'd be playing a game or something and notice something unusual or some mechanic that is a little strange. Like, uh, I don't know, Mario jumps on the P block and it turns all the bricks into coins. And then I'll start thinking like, huh, that's kind of weird. Like, like what's the range of that? Like, does it affect the castle? Does it affect other bricks around him? You know, what if he took it into a brick store? What if he took it into blah, 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 you know? And then I start playing around with, with that idea. And I think, okay, what's the, what's the best way to, to end, you know, a strip with that sort of realization. And then that would become like, Mario steps on the P block and the castle explodes in the coins, you know, and that would, that would be a comic, you know? So uh, a lot of times it was just something as simple as that. Like I'd play a game and notice something unusual. And then other times, you know, I'll sit there with my sketchbook for hours drawing out things and ideas and I just don't like any of them. So it, it's really, uh, it's a little tricky because sometimes it'll be really easy to come up with ideas and other times it'll be, uh, you know, I could, I could spend an evening and come up with nothing, so... So, um, Summer, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Glenn. Summer, I was wondering was, um, and probably not so much early on, but did you ever, like, get to a point where you were thinking, okay, I've done a lot of, like, Mario comics lately, maybe I should do other comics? Uh, Was that, like, a consideration or, like, a balance between retro observational humor and more recent games? Yeah, actually, that that was something that that I would keep in mind because, you know, with Nintendo, you have all these different series, you have all these different franchises, and each one kind of has their own little, you know, their own little subculture of sorts. So if after a while I'm thinking like, okay, I've, I'm doing a lot of Kirby comics or a lot of Mario comics, it's time to mix it up a little bit. I'll, um, what I often did was I'd, I'd have like a buffer of like five or six comics, you know, in various stages of completion. And I might stagger out how they would, would release, you know, if I had like, three Pokemon comics, I, I wouldn't want to do them all in a row usually. I'd, uh, you know, I'd switch them around and stuff just to keep the variety kind of kind of fresh, I guess. So you mentioned that you would start these ideas and some of them wouldn't pan out. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of comics that didn't quite make it. Are there any oh, yeah. favorite ideas that you had that you really wanted to make happen but ended up on the cutting floor anyway? <laughs> um probably a few i i remember for one of the books it was either two or three i'm not sure but i i did do a, a set of like i went through my sketchbook and looked at like ideas i didn't use for whatever reason and i drew up some of them in you know slightly more completed form and kind of explained uh 
you know, what they were, why I didn't use them. And a few of those I really liked. Um, I'm trying to think of some that weren't that, though. Some of them... <laughs> Some of them were were probably like not quite <laughs> appropriate enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I called those brawl out of the family comics. <laughs> and uh I'm trying to remember some of those. There was one with a thwomp and something. Yeah, the infamous <laughs> thwomp one you keep uh you keep referencing. I keep I keep mentioning the thwomp. Alright, I'll describe the thwomp one. It's it's yeah, it's not like it's not horrible or anything, but it's like you know, it's like yeah, there's a lot out there. All right, so Mario, there go. Mario walks into a castle, and there's a thwomp. He's like, you know, there's he's doing this thing. And it's like, what's, what's going on? He's, what's, I'm nowhere near this guy. What's, what's going on? So the thwomp keeps smashing down. So Mario just kind of runs under him as normal, and the camera pans out, and it turns out there's an upside down girl thwomp <laughs> over, <laughs> over the ground where Mario was. <laughs> So oh, uh, you know, gosh. maybe we're not gonna, maybe we're not gonna hey, do the girl swamp. Uh, Glenn, yeah. do you know how to put uh, the little red E like explicit on this episode? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, uh, was uh, yeah, one of the ones I decided. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> I think there was another one where um, Kirby is eating a bunch of food or whatever, and Adeline comes up and she's like, "Kirby, how can you do that when there's?" You know, starving kids across the world. And the last panel, he's eating the starving kids instead. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not the best idea. So, wow. so yeah, I, I held off. But most of, the, most of the ones I didn't use were just like, uh, were, were more along the lines of, oh, this gag isn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite read clearly enough. Or this is too obscure, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, some of them are like based off super old NES games and such. So. Were there, like, have you ever played a game that isn't, like, a Nintendo game and had, like, a, it's like, ah, man, this would make a good Brawl in the Family strip, but it's not Nintendo, so I can't use it. Have you ever had that? That's a a pretty good question, because I have, I've had, had, like, a PlayStation 2. Um, We have a PlayStation 4 right now, and I've played, uh, you know, I played Resident Evil 2. That was was really fun. Persona was another one that I really liked. Um, I think I thought of some, but... I feel like I've done some non-Nintendo comics, but it it might just be games that are, like, playable on Nintendo systems, but not Nintendo. I'm trying to think now. Well, Matthew, you did you did Final Fantasy VII. I think, didn't you do, like, Cloud stuff, or you were thinking about doing Cloud stuff before? Uh, cloud shows up in the Waluigi book at one point, but it's, it's not really Final Fantasy-specific. Um, but I off the top of my head, I can't really think of a... a like a full comic idea I came up with that was like completely unrelated to Nintendo. Hmm. But that'd be kind of interesting. I probably would have put it in anyway, you know, just cause there's some, some spillover there between fans and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. that, I think it was an April Fool's trip, uh, the, uh, PlayStation battle. Royale, oh yeah. 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 That's right. That, the battle Royale B Roy B period Royale in the family. <laughs> Yeah, when I when I made a bunch of comics of just like the Sony characters. Yeah, I had, I had to actually do a little research on that because I didn't know like a lot of the games that they came from. I played God of War. I played you know the first Metal Gear Solid, but like that was about it. So I just thought of various other games you know you could make with Parappa the Rapper and you know, was there Sackboy? I think was one of them. So that that was kind of fun. I got to do something a little different there. So I know I have my favorite comics um history of nintendo um ode to minions my my all-time favorite is uh 
uh, arms race. I don't know if you remember that one in particular. Is that with, with Bowser the Charizard? And Charizard? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the, the Ivysaur, and then yeah, they, and they keep they keep one upping each other. Yes. So, um, but a lot of my favorite ones are your musical comics. What was the what was the inspiration behind starting the musical comics? Those were. Those were really fun. Like those were a lot of work, but I I, I think th- those are among my favorites as well. Um, that started with. I don't think it was an intentional thing. It initially started with the, uh, the King DDD story with yeah. uh, the Grinch. Yeah, when he was how the King stole Christmas. I I started making that, and I thought it would be fun to have one of those parts just be the song or like a parody of the song. And I I think I'm pretty sure that's mm-hmm. when it started, and it it was like. I didn't know much about programming, so we just like me and the and the guy helping me run the site, Chris, uh, just put the song like to autoplay on the page, so people would visit the page and it would start up, and ideally you would follow along. But like I remember a lot of people complaining about it because you know they'd be in class or whatever, and this <laughs> started up, you know, and they're just they they would you know they would get they would get in trouble or whatever. So we started. Uh, Eventually, we started making them become videos instead. But that, that's how it began. It began with that. And uh, Michael and I have always actually been uh, really into music. We're both from a very musical family. He plays the trombone and the and the guitar. He's learning piano. And I play piano and um, saxophone. And we both sing. So that was kind of a part. That, that was something. I, once, once I put that up, I felt this, this is a good way to kind of have an additional thing to set the comic apart from other webcomics is having these these musical interludes about uh, about video game characters. So that's pretty much how that started. Uh, did um, Was Michael featured in any of the songs that were featured in this uh, comic strip? <laughs> Michael, did you... I feel like... I think I did maybe... I forget what I did. I think I did. I did do... Well, you, you drew one. I did draw one. He, he drew. You drew two comics. I did. I draw. Yeah, I did draw. Can two. anyone guess the two comics that Michael drew? <laughs> <laughs> they're, not very, drew... they're great comics. Oh wait, wait. I think I remember one of these. I think I do. Uh, one of them was the like the Fire Emblem one with the Dark Knight, and then you like. Zoom oh no, out. no, that that that's a good guess. That was my friend Chris who was. Doing oh the, right, was that doing was the, Chris. Uh, I knew it was. Site. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. There was one comic I did on my birthday that I updated every day of that week. Um, Whereas it was me in you know comic form saying I didn't feel like making a comic, All so right. everyone else actually there's two like this. The first one DDD was going to make the comic, and it was a ridiculous thing. I, I drew up the the outline that that I wanted Michael to draw, and then Michael drew it so it looked, you know, different, a little worse. Oh yeah, yeah, you did. You added you added a twelve pack to DDD, so it looked. It was good. So. So DD made his own comic and Michael drew that. But the second time was when all of my family members uh, made a comic and Michael made one about Samus. So Michael made Michael made a Metroid one. Uh, my sister made one about Mario, and yeah, there were a couple others. My wife made one. So uh, so yeah, Michael Michael drew two of them. I don't think he sang or played for the songs, from what I remember. I don't. But you know, Samus is my girl, though. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. and that's, I, it always comes from Smash Brothers, where on 64, where I would beat Matthew with Samus. You would not beat Matthew with. <laughs> it was it was the Samus and Ness fights that were uh, that were legendary. It was always always up and down, and yep, it's a I'm rivalry just, that still continues to this day. 
I'm just confused because I thought Samus was my girl, so we might need to talk yeah. off the air. Yeah, settle this. it in Smash. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, Michael, you do hear Michael in several of the Tadpole Treble songs, though. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, another one of my favorite things that you did was the Waluigi distortion. I don't know, just the exaggeration of his character. Yeah. What what made you want to take Waluigi specifically and make him so memeable? <laughs> okay, so the the Waluigi thing that really took me by surprise because that that became kind of the comic's breakout character more than more than anyone else I would say mm-hmm. in terms of just overall reach. Uh, it started like like I was just talking about like keeping everyone in character, but Waluigi I kind of I bent the rules a little bit because. How did that begin? Why did I do that? I'm trying to, I think I drew a really weird looking Waluigi picture just in my sketchbook. And Chris was looking at my different sketches and he thought it was really funny. And I thought, yeah, th- I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so uh, he said, you, you got you to gotta put that in somewhere. And I thought, well, I, I guess maybe like an April Fool's thing. He'll just show up and say, Waluigi time. And there'll be this really hideous looking Waluigi. And at the time, it's hard to believe now, you know, because this was back in 2009 or whatever. But Waluigi was once just like, like no one, they're just like, this weird little guy. I remember when Mario Tennis came out in 1999 and they introduced Waluigi Mm -hmm. and people were just like, this is kind of dumb. You know, he's like Luigi, but just like they added wa to it. And it's actually (laughs) pretty funny. It's a pretty good pun in Japanese Mm -hmm. because you have Warui, which means bad, you know, bad person. And then Waluigi, you know, because he's Waluigi. But in American, I mean, in American, in English, (laughs) it's just kind of like waluigi it, it feels weird so he was pretty unpopular for a while so that actually made him like a really good candidate for this kind of takeover because he's just like i don't know just this this character that's that's overtly full of himself and has this bizarre sense of humor and thinks he's got this great comic and it's just someone that everyone's just kind of indifferent towards slash doesn't know who he is slash doesn't like him <laughs> and um I, I just kind of improvised a bunch of different comics and that became a yearly thing for the most part. And, uh, I, I guess it just took off from there. I think, uh, people just started to, to see that they really did love Waluigi after all. They just, they just didn't see it before, but they, they understood him. After that. It was a revelation for me. <laughs> <laughs> we did, uh, Glenn and I interviewed Lucas M. Thomas from Nintendo Force oh, magazine. Oh yeah, Lucas. Sure. And he was talking about how at the time you had the upcoming, Waluigi issue. So after he said that, my first question was, please tell me Matthew Toronto is heavily involved because uh, that was awesome. You did a great job. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like working with him with uh, Nintendo Force Magazine. And yeah, I remember that. I remember he wanted a bunch of different like styles of Waluigi for the front. So I, I drew my main one, but I also drew like a couple others that I ended up using for the book where he was in like, uh, there was like a Simpsons one. And I think a Final Fantasy, like, a mono artwork one from, like, the old Final Fantasy games. So, that was a lot of fun. All right, so moving on, uh, we're going to shift gears and start talking about Tadpole, uh, Tadpole Treble. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, how did you come up with the uh, idea for the project? Well, that started when I was... It was actually a long time. It was way before Brawl in the Family. I was, like, a teenager. It's probably around... Uh, you know, the turn of the century or so, I would watch my dad um, compose things on this program finale on his computer. 
and he he he's like you know he's kind of where we get our musical stuff from he's he's uh he's a band uh director and he's also uh he's written some musicals himself so i would watch like the little line go by and the notes would boo, doo, 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 doo. and it it looked kind of like a video game you know because this the screen is scrolling things are coming by and i thought it'd be kind of cool to have a video game where the notes were the obstacles and from there i just kind of thought you know if you're moving up and down maybe like some sort of fish or aquatic creature uh could be swimming you know and avoiding them and that way you're not bound by gravity and I think a tadpole was decided on just because uh, I couldn't really think of any notable tadpole characters that existed. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, frogs, you know, but like tadpoles were kind of unclaimed territory. So I thought, OK, a, a tadpole. Plus, they kind of look like notes, you know, and I think that might have been my Mario RPG like yes. history kind of sneaking into my brain. Yeah. And then uh, so I, I told Michael about this idea and, and we had actually been talking about making games for a while just because it was something we always wanted to do. But this one seemed uh, like simple enough to, to to start with, so you know we started planning that. Right. We and... we initially created a demo, um, Matthew. Um, we created a demo for uh, Brawl in the Family uh, fans. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it right. was a one level demo. It was pretty much like a small little, you know, virtual slice of the game, and just to see if it works. And we got some positive uh, feedback from it. So. Once we saw that, we we tried to keep it as simple as possible, but it kind of blew out of proportion a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> With all they the... call it feature creep. Right, it's feature creep, yeah. <laughs> which kills a lot of projects. But you know, it kind of made ours better, so I guess uh, we're happy for it overall. Yeah, like composition mode was supposed to be a, a stretch goal initially, like way down the line. But uh, I mean, we hit our goal, but we didn't we didn't you know go super far past it. But I, I really just wanted to put in composition mode, so. Uh... So we're just like, okay, let's let's put it in. Why not? Yeah, I, I was looking back because I recently did a review on uh, Tra- Tapital Treble Encore, and uh, I was mm-hmm. kind of looking back on the Kickstarter project, and I noticed you didn't even hit the uh, the stretch goal for Wii U, but you still put oh, yeah. it to Wii U. Anyway. Yep, that was another one of the things we, <laughs> we did. So that's probably why the game took so long. <laughs> yeah, we underestimated a lot of things. Being our first game... <laughs> We uh we underestimated time, we underestimated cost and you know scope, you know all things yep. that a project a good project needs. Um, yeah. So we, we definitely learned a lot from it, and um it it, it, it was it was a lot of growing pains uh, making it. All right, so I'm kind of going back to uh, you, you explained why a tadpole, but I'm I'm kind of curious why the uh, the aquatic theme just in general instead of as opposed to like a, a character that could fly or something. Hmm. No, I guess we could have used a bird. Could we? <laughs> That's a good idea. Sequel. <laughs> Glenn's idea. Next one. Uh, I don't know. I think I started I started getting attached to the tadpole um, idea pretty early on. I guess because of the I don't know the the sort of subtle musical things. That I mentioned, like the the shape of it, and we came up with the idea of the, the tadpole being called baton, and I like that because the tadpole kind of looks like baton too. And you know, we we both are by the city of Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. so the, all that kind of stuff kind of came together. And then I started thinking about like the different like types of water levels. You know, you could have streams, you could have like Matthew, rapids. I think, I think we also thought of just continuing the level from from like place to place. So we needed like a water mm. like creek or water like system. Oh, like yeah, like, like a connected right area. to connect the whole because the entire the entire island or the entire game is connected by by mm. one stream essentially. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think once we once we kind of got all those pieces in place, it it, it felt like a, a natural fit. All right. So, how'd you go about uh, writing the music, uh, and what factors did you have to consider when composing a soundtrack that you wanted for uh, a single, like you know, history of Nintendo or the like? I'm sorry. Was the second part of the question? Uh, well, h- how is writing uh, music for an entire soundtrack different from writing a singular standalone song? Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, well, one of the things I wanted to do was have uh, these these uh, I guess what the, what they're called the musical orders like light motifs. Mm-hmm. When you have these little phrases or riffs that that appear across different songs, uh, a lot of my favorite game soundtracks have that, and it gives it a real sense of cohesion, which I really like. So I try to do, like, uh, just off the top of my head, like Mario Galaxy does this uh, very short, it's got a very short riff, but it's like that bum, 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 bum. You know, it starts mm-hmm. off like that. You hear it when you get a star. You hear it in, like, some of the songs, like, tuck it away in the soundtrack. Like, I think, uh, I want to say Melty Molten Galaxy does, like, bum, 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 It's got this whole thing going. Um, I can't remember if that was one or two, but th- th- those two games have, like, one of two of my favorite soundtracks. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, I wanted to have something a little similar with the the musical feel in this game so it has kind of that main theme pop up a few times the uh do 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 shows up in a few places the um the level one theme that shows up like in the victory theme and after a while after i wrote a few songs i started really liking this kind of south american style so i put that like in the map theme and in the uh, piranha jungle has like a, a variant on it and uh gusty rapids also does that so that was kind of how I, I tried to compose on like, what do you call it? Like a macro scale, I guess? Yeah, be macro. Micro? Macro? Yeah, <laughs> macro. And um, for each individual level, it was more, Michael and I would come up with the idea behind the level first. A theme, right. Yeah, and then I write a theme around the theme. So uh, it was it was difficult. Sometimes I, we would get stuck, you know? And... Michael, what was Midnight Bayou originally? Like there were snails. It was it was going to be snails. Escargo and love. Escargo, yeah. Was Midnight Bayou? Escargo's and Escargo and love. Escargo and love. Yeah, it was it was a sock hop kind of song. Right. Do da pu 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 da pu pu da. Yeah, it's like dun 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 dun. That probably would have been a better idea. Now I'm thinking about it. Well, we we use the snails for Thunder Creek, but but it stayed a love song, but but. I think what happened? I think we wanted to change it to where it involved Baton more. So it became mm. a love song about Baton instead of about the snails themselves. The key for it was to keep each level different and standalone, um, but also connected, if that makes sense. So, for example, Matthew's motif, uh, Matthew's little, little um, like, uh, homages back to his level one and to the main title. Uh, they would creep in, but also each level had its own unique theme and its own unique way of playing it. And so we wanted the player to experience that. And so that's it was hard to come up with new ways um, with the tadpole <laughs> to have fun. Um, but <laughs> but that's kind of the that's kind of what we did. We we had to scrape some ideas. Like we had what Matthew like an alligator, an oil gator from one for the final boss, for example. Yeah, yeah, we were thinking about a, a big gator. Um... There was the one. There was a level inside the eel. Like we were, we had like an innards kind of jabu jabu belly stage. Eel's belly. I think it was eel's belly. Right. And yeah. there was there was one that was a waterfall that was like 
an homage to Waterfalls Three when you're you're falling down that waterfall and you're fighting, but yeah. you're basically going down a waterfall the entire time. So it'd be yeah, like yeah. we took that idea and we 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 swapped it instead of going uh, north to south, you went from you went from east to west. Yeah, you went backwards. So we did that through gusty rapids. So we swapped, you know, the position of play in that particular level. You you know, Michael, when I when I was playtesting this game for like two hours, I would stop a level and everything would keep moving. <laughs> Did, have you oh, ever had you this had that happen? too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when I get to Gusty Rapids and everything's moving the other way, it's like, ugh. <laughs> so I'm hoping we're not freaking out anyone's eyes. <laughs> this game. Yeah, I, I have like this weird kind of sine wave thing happen if I'm like pl- uh, playing it, uh, yeah, like, like and getting really into it, like trying to get all the bubbles yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's like the Tetris thing, right? That's a good <laughs> thing, right? That's a thing. <laughs> no one's died yet from at least I know. <laughs> would you, spots or would you like yeah. to officially coin it the tadpole effect? The tadpole the effect. The treble effect. Oh, those are both good. Or the Toronto <laughs> effect. Yeah, we got a lot of teas. <laughs> Just in case it <laughs> blinds people two years after playing tadpole treble. <laughs> oh, Alright, so uh, what was it like revisiting the game to uh, bring it to Switch? It was good. I, uh, I mean, I had, I kind of played it to death because of all the all the play testing. I had, like every time we got a new a new build, I would have to make sure it was a hundred percentable, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would I would go through and get all the medals. Um, but we knew we wanted to add something to the game, you know, just just to to give it that extra little push, and uh, that's that's uh, kind of where the idea for the new level came in. Um, Isle Isle. Michael, you want to talk about Isle Isle? Sure. Um, we we received a lot of feedback from the Steam version and then the Wii U version. And uh, using that feedback, we determined that there was some problems with the final boss. Uh, with the first phase, for example, you're supposed to hit wires. And even though we made the wires, we thought, um, pretty good to identify to hit because they're a certain color. They're like a yellowish hue. Uh, the players were still having issues. So we determined that we would like to elaborate a little bit more on the final boss. And so we we always initially wanted to. In fact, if you hear the final boss in the initial version or even in the Switch version, it, it talks about like some lore that we wanted to always kind of elaborate on, but we never really had the chance to. So this gave us the opportunity to kind of flesh out that final boss and to kind of give it the backstory that we always knew in our heads, but we never were able to present it to the player. Um, so it was something that it, it, it fixed two problems. It, it expanded upon the final boss, and then it also fixed the wire issue that we were having. The player has to hit a wire at the end of the new level to proceed, and then it sets up the player right at the beginning to start hitting wires. Um, yeah. And so watching playthroughs in the Switch version had been a lot easier for me because they're so frustrating when you watch players uh, and they get to the last boss and they're like, what did I do? And I'm like, no, you got to hit the wires, and then they can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you. And they probably recorded it a while ago. <laughs> right. Now now for the Switch version, it's like, oh, I gotta hit the wires. I'm like, oh thank God. So I can actually like watch playthroughs now. It doesn't it doesn't you know. Yeah, well and Michael said it solved two problems and one other thing that uh it it, it kinda helped with was um just a lot of people even when they get when they when they really like the game said, you know, it's a little short, it could be a little longer. So we wanted to give like one extra level to to at least, you know, give the game a little more of a 
a, a longer third act, you know, around like around the time of Saltwater Cape, you know, when you have Coda chasing after you and stuff, you feel like the game's starting to to ramp up and and get to its climax. We thought having an extra level right between you know that and the final stage would would help build up everything too. So just to clarify, Isle Isle wasn't like something that was planned, but you had to cut it for time? No, we did have levels like that, but I mean, we talked about them, but we, we eventually went with this because of the, uh, mostly because of player feedback, you know, regarding the final boss. So we thought, you know, this would, this would be a good way to do it. We had ideas that we cut, we like an oil alligator, for example, and we had plenty of ideas that we... We were talking about, we were talking about the beaver dam too. Right, the beaver dam. So I like that idea because the the beaver would throw like throw like acorns and he'd smack them back at the beaver, you know. <laughs> no, it's good. It sounds talking about Matthew. <laughs> I like the beaver idea, but we I didn't want to use it because I didn't like Baton just like killing this beaver. It didn't seem <laughs> like it seemed to go against the spirit of the game a little bit. Like, that'd be the third, and that'd be when we reported the PlayStation Five. <laughs> Tadpole Rampage. <laughs> so um, I, I myself am a, a programmer, so I just I gotta get this question out of the way. What engine did you use? Okay, uh, yeah. So we used Unity. Uh, so we we kept with Unity for about it's been about five or six years, and it's it's crazy because we have to. It's gone through a lot of different Unity um, versions. So every time we are updating it, um, you know, obviously little bugs creep in. So we have to take that into account. But Unity for us uh, did what needed to be done for the game. And we didn't need the Unreal Engine, you know. Uh, we didn't need uh, anything that was, um, you know, super uh, graphically um, pushing. So Unity for us was kind of the way to go. All right. And we had to, we had to update it, right? Like our programmer had to... We couldn't use the same version from the Wii U version. No, we the Wii U version uses a specific version that Nintendo set up that could port to the Wii U using their software. So we had to we couldn't use that anyway, even though it was a, a particular uh, Unity version. We had to use um, the more up to date because the Switch version used the more up to date Unity. Um, so once once we use that, then of course that version becomes obsolete depending upon uh, Nintendo's you know, back um, office. And so we will constantly have to update it. And that was the issue with us. It's like, as we're trying, as you're trying to make a project or release a product, you have to determine bug fixing. And then if you wait too long, sometimes you need to then update your engine and that creeps in more bugs. So it's almost like a weird race, you know, uh, to try to release it before uh, the next version expires. So you can get the system, you can get it out there. And then uh, this way you squash the bugs and before uh, bringing in a new uh, version of it. All right. So um, speaking of glitches, any amusing, like particularly amusing glitches that came up during development? <laughs> there was there was the one where you like you, she starts spinning and flying into the sky and going under. The, like what was, was that? Was that for the Steam version or the? Uh, I mean, the, the, oh, there were... well, we we got rid of that one, I think. No, yeah, none of these are. Whenever like... it popped up, I was like, Michael, tell version. <laughs> like, there is actually one that's that's. Uh, there's occasional ones that whenever you so Baton is on an, uh, a Y axis, um, and whenever you whenever you um jump, uh, you calculate this certain you know mm-hmm. position. 
Uh, obviously, if something were to interrupt your state in jumping, things could go awry, which means you could typically Maybe your Y would typically then start floating up into space. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> uh, right, or maybe, or maybe your state will go from uh, being hit to invincible. That's happened a couple times. Um, oh yeah. Or maybe your costume would change from baton to baton because that state changes. <laughs> so there, there are some odd, there are some odd things like that. Um, there were some odd things with the co- composition mode. It's so tricky oh. to do QR codes and to save. Uh, songs and QR codes because you use a serial, uh, kind of a sequence of numbers. And, um, yeah, a lot of issues cropped up with that just because it's it's a difficult thing to create. And then the profanity check that the Wii U required was really interesting because you could save songs and then uh, you had to – you could also save your, your files, um, but then they had to go through a profanity check with Nintendo's filter to make sure that things weren't being saved. So we had to test out all sorts of – you know, wordy dirt. <laughs> Fanny filter was working. And th- those were interesting because some stuff would go through and we're like, wait, we can't have this just in case. Something- <laughs> <laughs> and, then it, and then it came really odd. It was like, can we create songs into the shape of uh, absurd, you know, obscene things? <laughs> with oh, notes? Yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute, we can't do that either. And so, you know, but there's no way to fix that. So uh, right. just, just put that out there. So things like that cropped up. That was it was it was an interesting uh, trial and tribulation. Matthew, you getting upset at Michael is very nostalgic for me. Scott and I partnered with um, a programmer and a 3D modeler to make a game years mm. ago. It's not playable now, but it was it was a very interesting time. Like we play tested it to death, and we come back and say. Hey Alex, this doesn't work. Or yeah. hey Alex, mm-hmm. when this thing happens, and he's like, "Well, just don't get into that situation." <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy solution. I thought but you were know, just gonna say it. it. Sounded like Dwight saying, "Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael, Bears to beats Battlestar Galactica." <laughs> <laughs> so Tadpole Treble Encore is available on Switch now. Mm-hmm. It is less than ten dollars. And Glenn just reviewed it. He awarded it the elusive loved it rank, which you haven't given out to any other game yet, right? That's the first one. There you go. High recommendation from us. Well, thank you. All right. Let's talk about Game Master Classified. The Kickstarter is going on right now. So if anyone's listening who has yet to back this new book project, do you want to give the pitch real quick? Sure. Um, Game Master Classified is a tell-all book about Nintendo from the 80s during the NES era. Mm. Uh, I'm doing the illustrations and layouts, and I'm working with Nintendo's own Howard Phillips, the Game Master himself, who was... Uh, well, he had a lot of jobs. He was Nintendo's... Uh, what's the Creative... Director Game Creative, which is uh, sort of hard to remember, but he was kind of like one of the big guys in charge... He came up with the Fun Club idea, the Nintendo Power idea. He played thousands of games, I want to say, probably over a thousand. And he was responsible for a lot of the uh, a lot of the changes and, and localization things that Nintendo themselves did. So he's telling all about, you know, what life was like back then. I'm making comics about it. I'm making, uh, you know, reviews and things. And I'm also going to be reflecting on my own experiences with Nintendo games in, uh, in separate comics within the book. So... It'll be it'll be a fun book with a little bit of everything in it. 
So to clarify, this is the Howard of Howard and Nestor, correct? Oh yeah, that's the very same. And uh, it, it's you know when I when we have the comics with him, it's going to be that you know that Howard design because that's the one that people are familiar with, the bow tie and everything. Yeah, I noticed in like the uh, the Kickstarter trailer, you drew yourself having the Nestor bangs. <laughs> I'm glad someone caught that. <laughs> yeah. When I asked Howard about Nestor, you know, he says we were basically, you know, Nestor was a fictional character, but he was basically any kid playing the NES that mm-hmm. that felt like they knew it all, you know, they, they didn't need help. So uh, I thought, you know, we're all Nestor. Let's uh, let's have a little Nestor nod in there. And That's if you look awesome. closely at the shadow on the cover, you you'll see uh, it's it's very familiar shaped as well. <laughs> well, it sounds fascinating, and I'm sure he has some really crazy stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And it's great that he has such a talented illustrator to help him take it from not just being a regular book to something so. Uh, fun and interactive and in comic form so whose idea was this and how did it come to be well i i feel very lucky about this because you know i mean i'm obviously like a very big fan of nintendo but uh it's it really started a few years ago when i did uh, nintendo powers ending and i made a brawl in the family comic with howard and nestor it was a howard and nestor tribute and howard himself somehow got a hold of it i, I guess someone linked him and mm. he ended up contacting me my, I guess the timing was good because he wanted to work on his own project, which was called uh, Know It All, which was a, a, a mobile game that he was going to do a Kickstarter for that very year and wanted me to make some comics about uh, his basic, basically his path to know it all to, 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 mm-hmm. to this point. So like one of the one of the strips was about him working in the warehouse. One of them was about him uh, playtesting the Famicom and so on. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I worked with him basically as a freelance artist then. And it didn't hit its goal. It got about a third of the way there. And we basically parted ways, you know, amicable terms and everything. But a couple of years ago, he reached out to me again saying he'd like to make a book now about all his experiences at Nintendo mm-hmm. and uh, was interested in, you know, not just having a text-based book, but one with, you know, a really fun kind of presentation style, you know, illustrations and layouts and uh, comics and things. And I said, that sounds great. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say no to Howard Phillips, but um, I, I, I made one suggestion. I said, what if we made it kind of like Nintendo Power, where, you know, you have the comics, but you also have each of these different sections with their own kind of look. And you have these headers and we can kind of have plays on different things like classified information could be there with the classic manila folders. But instead of cheat codes, it'd be, you know, secret things from Nintendo. And he really liked that idea, and we've just been hammering it out for for a year or so, um, getting things in order and everything, and uh, and that's pretty much the full story. Wow, you said it's been you've been working on it for about a year. Uh, yeah, about a year. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think he wants to make this now? Because he's looking back decades into his past career. Is there anything? kind of prompting him to say, let's get this project going. I get the impression that it's something that Howard's been wanting to do for a while, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, previously he was, he, he's had, I mean, he's had a long and lucrative career. He worked at Lucas arts for a while and then he worked at, uh, Microsoft for a good bit. And I think he's, he's pretty much been in the industry until maybe a decade ago or so. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure when, when, you know, when he officially retired, but, uh, you know, at that point, he wanted to try his hand at game development. 
and I think now he's just kind of um, he thinks I guess he thinks the time is right. He wanted to find mm-hmm. uh, an illustrator to help him with this, and and I guess he feels my my style you know jives well with with his memoirs and things. So I I guess uh, that's that's pretty much it. You know, he's he's at the point where he's ready to write a book about his experiences. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about goals, not necessarily mm-hmm. the Kickstarter goals, but for you personally, what would make this book a success for you? Well, I would like for it to be something that I would really enjoy reading. You know, I, I feel like I'm basically the target audience here. People that, I mean, it, do, it doesn't have to be someone that was alive during the NES days, but I, I think, you know, for people, especially that were familiar with Nintendo Power and Howard Phillips and all those NES games and grew up with that stuff, um, I think having a, a, a book that's not, you know, not just facts, but also a lot of different flavor and it's got all these illustrations and, and interesting stories and things. If that's a, you know, a compelling read and it's fun and it, and it's informative, you know, that's, that's, that's really ultimately what, what I feel would be uh, a success and something I'd be really proud of. Mm-hmm. So earlier you said, I wouldn't say no to Howard Phillips. But now that you've said yes and you're working with him, what is that like? It's pretty fun. You can tell he is a creative type, you know, because mm. he was, you know, he wasn't like um, Howard Lincoln, for instance, where who was the the uh, like the chairman of Nintendo at the time and, and their and their lawyer and was very business oriented, you know. He he's he's definitely uh, definitely more the creative type. It's funny because you know sometimes people mix up the two Howards. Like, cause uh, yeah, they're, they're both Howard. <laughs> yeah, like someone, like I kept getting comments on the on the video that said, "What is what does Howard Phillips think now that Night Trap is on a Nintendo system?" Yeah. Whereas Howard Lincoln was the one that's like, "Night Trap will never be on a Nintendo system," you know. So, um, but yeah, it's it's really fun. You know, we have to uh, kind of keep each other in check since we're both kind of the creative types. And sometimes, you know, we, would one of us would be like, "Oh, it'd be cool if we did this," and then the other one would be like, well, "Yeah, but I mean, you know, market wise, is that the best idea?" Kind of thing. So it, it's sort of funny. There's there's kind of like we both have this this enthusiasm about the project, but we also have to be, you know, pragmatic about it as well and, and, and not not let things get away from us too much or, or get too ambitious like like uh, like I did with Tadpole Trouble sometimes. It's composition <laughs> mode and we you version. <laughs> so, so you're trying to stick to a deadline, not let the features creep too much. When are you hoping to get the book in people's hands? Well, right now the goal is uh, is in one year, so February 2022, and I've kind of outlined a plan for myself this year where I, I basically do one chapter a month, and it should be manageable because, you know, all this planning and stuff, a lot of it was just getting the sections in order and, you know, me designing each section, and now that we have that basically in place, it's mostly the, the comics themselves are going to be the bulk of the work for me. So I think, I think it's definitely uh, doable. But I think I also think the final book should be around. Uh, it's probably going to be around two hundred pages at this rate, based on the uh, stretch goals and stuff that we're hitting. Awesome. Well, we're really looking forward to reading that. So people can back it now, and mm-hmm. I believe it's nineteen dollars for digital, thirty nine for print. Is that right? That's right. Hardcover okay. and digital. Yeah. Good. And then there's higher tiers for autographs and extra Mm -hmm. bonuses things like that so we encourage you to go check out that kickstarter the book is called game master classified Mm -hmm. and take a look it looks great okay so i actually just got 
a message from Sakurai. Uh, he messaged me on <laughs> MySpace. <laughs> nice. And, <laughs> and he says that there are uh, two slots left in the fighter pass, and he wanted to know uh, who we should have him put in there. Michael, I'm going to let you pick one. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> well, I think wart. I like wart. And, you know, I think, I think the vegetables, you know, you a vegetable medley. <laughs> nice. It, it's a counter that specifically only works against that one attack. <laughs> comes in playing an organ, you know, one of those organs that shoot the vegetables out. I like Ward. I miss him. They should bring him back. It's a, it's a solid choice, a, a nostalgia choice. I would have to say, I think everyone expects me to say Waluigi. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I would, I would, I would like to see Waluigi, you know. But I think my top pick right now would actually be, uh, okay, for a third party pick, I'm gonna go with Phoenix Wright. Mm. I love the Phoenix Wright series. Um, I actually was working on a Phoenix Wright musical before Brawl in the Family, and it's kind of, it's very nostalgic to me because that's kind of uh, where people first like started paying attention to me, which is kind of nice. And it's also how I met my wife, which is crazy. Oh, really? Um, yeah. yeah. We were both working on the musical, like it was an online thing together uh, among other people, and that's that's how we met. Um, but I also think the series is great, and it would be a really fun character that would be like very dynamic and interesting, I think. Uh, for a first-party character, though, I would say I'm really a big fan of unrepped series getting their due i feel like we're long overdue for either advance wars or rhythm heaven or i really want to see pig ganon i don't know i'm listing like four characters here (laughs) (laughs) like i associate ganon with the big blue you know monster ganon like i i grew up on the original zelda and everything and he's just such an iconic character and i like ganondorf but i think ganondorf's in three zelda games as opposed to, like, 10 for the other Ganon. Mm-hmm. I'll get count them, I'm telling you. There's Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Ocarina of Time, have Ganondorf. Not counting Hyrule Warriors. And then for Pig Ganon, you got uh, Zelda 1. Zelda 2, you know, he's kind of in there. He goes, rawr, 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 when you get a game over. <laughs> yeah, Link to the Past. You got, he's he's in Ocarina of Time as well. He's, uh, he's in Shadow Form in Link's Awakening. He's, that's five. He's in Four Swords Adventures. He's in, uh... This is probably a lot of spoilers. I'm going to stop. But the point is, he's in a lot of games. <laughs> he's in a lot. So, uh, those of you who don't want me to ruin the entire Zelda series, uh, do not listen to one minute again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those those would be my picks, I think. Okay, good. I'll, I'll let him know. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, Michael, you finished porting Tadpole Treble. It passed the profanity checks. It's on Switch. Uh, what's next for you? What's in your future? Well, we, we probably are going to do Europe next, so we're probably going to move it to port it to Europe, hopefully. Yeah, we're getting a lot of people that, that you know are asking for that. And then hopefully Asia. Uh, right now it's currently just out in America. Um, that's, that's the current. Uh, probably the future would be another IP, hopefully. Um, we have a couple ideas. We had a couple pitches, but um, we've been focused on Tablet Trouble in the port that... You know, we just really haven't been able to be focused on a new IP, but it would be probably something new, probably a new project. Yeah, the thing about us is that we we were working on Tadpole Trouble like part time. You know, like Michael was Michael was doing his own job, I was doing my own job at the same time, 
and we're kind of still in that place right now. Like now I'm working on the book and Michael's teaching. So we, we still, you know, we still meet up and, and discuss game ideas and work on Tadpole Trouble and stuff. But it's also something that's, uh, it, it's a little trickier for us because we're kind of juggling a lot of different things at once. Anything else for you, Matthew, on your horizon? Obviously, you've got your hands full for the next year with a chapter <laughs> a month, but any other yep. projects that you're looking forward to getting to? There is a, kind of a secret project that I was going to do um, after the Waluigi book until, until you know Howard contacted me, but uh, that will probably need to be a 2022 thing. Okay. Well, that's all I'm saying. It's it's not it's not a it's not a sequel or follow up to anything I've done. But I think if you like the stuff I've done, it's kind of all of that together. So that's all. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, anything final you'd like to add, or as well as let people know where they can follow you and your projects online. Uh, You can follow me at uh, Matthew P Toronto on Twitter, or you could just go to brawlinthefamily.com. And uh, you could also go to bitfinitygames.com as well for uh, Tadpole Treble and Bitfinity-related things. And Ness is always going to beat Samus in Smash Brothers. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> oh. But uh, but also you can get us on Facebook. Tadpole Treble is on Facebook. Uh, so And Twitter would be Mike Toronto or Mike Toronto. Matthew, right? Don't you have a Twitter? Yeah, yeah, I said it. Matthew P. Toronto. Or Mike, is it Mike underscore Toronto? Got to have that little thing. Yeah, I think there's an underscore, sure. You got to have the thing there. <laughs> put the thing there. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, uh, our Samus lovers will understand that Samus is the superior special. <laughs> See, I can't, I can't uh, wade into this discussion because Scott plays both of those characters and I don't <laughs> play either of them. So oh, that's fun. Both of them are frustrating for me to fight. <laughs> to be fair, Super Metroid is my favorite game, so yep. there's that. Yep. It's classic. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for making the time to come here and let us pick your brains about sure. all of your projects. We really enjoyed it and hope people uh, go check out your game, your book, and uh, comics. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for featuring us. Thank you for having Absolutely. us. Appreciate you guys. All right. Have a great night. All right, you too. See y'all later. Bye.